circumstances and individuals leave a legacy that lasts, it will be because God is at the heart of it. If churches and individuals leave a lasting legacy, it will be because God is at the heart of it. Paul would write, Christ, who is our life, Colossians 3 and verse 4. He would say in Colossians 3.11 that Christ is all and in all. There has never been a more saturated person than Paul, saturated with Jesus. His name is Thomas Chisholm. I don't suspect his name will be familiar to all of you, but maybe a few. Thomas Chisholm was a writer of hymns. And in most songbooks, you'll see a number of collaborations between L.O. Sanderson and Thomas Chisholm. For example, the old song, Be With Me, Lord was a collaboration between those two. The Lord has been mindful of me. On one occasion, Ello Sanderson, of course a member of the Lord's church, talked to Thomas Chisholm and said, I want you to write the words to a tune that I put together. On the subject of baptism, Thomas Chisholm was a Methodist, and yet he collaborated with L.O. Sanderson to write a song that many congregations often sing, Buried with Christ, my blessed Redeemer, dead to the old life of folly and sin. Sanderson said, I appreciate my friend Thomas Chisholm because he was a man of integrity who insisted on bringing out what the Bible says about baptism and God's plan. When you think about Thomas Chisholm, all those songs that he wrote, many of which were in collaboration with L.O. Sanderson, but this one wasn't. My favorite song written by Thomas Chisholm is out of a meditation on passages like Lamentations 3, 22 through 25 and James 1, 17 and the song is called Great is Thy Faithfulness. All I have needed your hands have provided. Great is your faithfulness, Lord, unto me. Thomas Chisholm got at the heart of what should be in the heart and soul of every Christian. Great is God's faithfulness. Therefore, because of that relationship, we should seek to leave a legacy worth leaving. Open your Bibles to Acts chapter 20. 
In last evening's lesson, we looked at Acts chapter 20, and I introduced the subject, and we looked at verses 17 through 24. I said that a legacy should be thought of as a treasure chest. When you and I depart from this life, if the world continues to stand, what treasure will you leave those who love you the most and know you the best? When you look at Acts chapter 20, the treasure chest of a lasting legacy is what Paul is stressing. He calls for the elders of the church at Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. And here in Acts 20, we have the longest sermon in the book of Acts, the only sermon exclusively given to Christians. How insightful the passage is. He's dealing with a lasting legacy, a treasure chest of good things. And I talked about three items in the treasure chest of a lasting legacy last night. A lasting legacy consists of this jewel, this treasure, a track record of faithfulness, We saw this especially in Acts 20, verses 17 through 21. A second jewel. An ongoing commitment to growth and excellence in ministry. One can see this especially in Acts 20, verses 22 through 27. And then in verses 28 through 38... Precious relationships, the jewel of a precious relationship with God and with other Christians. All right. Trying to see the structure of this sermon can be notoriously difficult in some ways, but let me give you a couple of possibilities. In Acts 20, verses 17 through 21, Paul primarily deals with his past. The track record. And the fact that he had worked with these brethren for three years, they knew one another quite well. They had invested mightily in one another's lives. Then, verses 22 to 27 we can say, deal with the present. Paul's present, his ongoing commitment to growth and excellence in ministry. Verses 28 to the end of the chapter, verse 38, we can say, have to deal with the future. A treasure chest of a lasting legacy. Here's another way to maybe look at this particular sermon. Look for the word know, K-N-O-W. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 18, Paul says, you yourselves know. There are things we know about others and the type of legacy they are leaving. 
Look at verse 22 of Acts 20. Not knowing. There are plenty of things in life we don't know. Isn't that the truth? We don't know what the future holds, but we know that God holds the future. Keep looking. Paul would say, I know. I know. I know. Here in Acts 20. And he would conclude by saying, You know. To the elders one more time. Look at verses 31 and 34, 25 and 29. And the use of that word know. We are in the middle of the second jewel of the treasure chest. The commitment, the ongoing commitment to growth and to excellence in service to the Lord. Last night, we looked at verses 22 and 23 going through 24. And I talked about how there's commitment from Paul to the will of God. We need to have a growing commitment to his will. And doing what he wants. We talked briefly about this secondly. There's a commitment to suffering. You can tell an awful lot about a person by what they're willing to suffer for without complaint, without whining. If any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this behalf. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 16. And then... There's an ongoing commitment, verse 24. An ongoing commitment to finishing well. There is a sense of sanctified stubbornness, of utter determination to finish well. You know, sometimes I think when we talk about finishing well, we immediately run to 2 Timothy chapter 4, I have finished the course, I have fought a good fight, I've kept the faith. And yes, it's a marvelous passage about finishing well. But where is Paul? He's in prison. Where are most of his friends? He's elsewhere. They're elsewhere. Where are, where's his coat? Where's some of the writing instruments and the books? In many ways... It's not an enviable position to be in, at least as far as outward circumstances. But he was never more like Jesus. Jesus, his Lord, when he went to the cross. I think some of us will stagger to the finish line. You ever stop to think that Moses did? I suspect Moses was a better man than most of us. Amen to that. Miriam and Aaron die. Moses has sinned by striking the rock. A life of pretty much 80 years of great faithfulness, and yet he staggers to the finish line. You know what I've discovered? 
just to get to the finish line and to finish as well as we can ought to be our great desire. Because God hasn't promised that we won't know ill health. God hasn't promised that things will always be the way they are presently. But we can all get to the finish line by God's grace and strength. Now you're ready for three more commitments. Three more commitments seen in verses 25, 26, and 27. When you look at verse 25, there is an ongoing commitment from Paul to the kingdom of God and its furtherance. There's an ongoing commitment from Paul to the kingdom of God and its furtherance. It sounds very much like Philippians chapter 1. The things that have happened to me have happened to the furtherance of the gospel. Philippians 1 verse 12. He is committed to the kingdom of God and its furtherance. God's reign. God's people. God's church. Matthew 16, 16 through 19. Translated out of darkness into the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear Son. Colossians 1, 12 and 13. Wherefore, receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us have grace whereby we might offer service that's well-pleasing to God with reverence and godly fear. Hebrews 12 and verse 28. We are blessed to be partakers in the kingdom. Revelation 1 and verse 9. Those of us who preach and are married... In a way, we love two women. We love our wife. And we love the bride of Christ. Blessed and wonderful is the preacher's wife that's willing to share her husband with the bride of Jesus. The proclamation of the kingdom of God and its furtherance. They went everywhere preaching the word, Acts 8, 1 through 4. And preaching the word involved preaching the kingdom, Acts 8, verse 12. Preaching the word, preaching the kingdom involved preaching baptism. Same context, Acts 8. Preacher students... Oh, I encourage you to continue your love for the Lord and your love for Scripture. Your love for lost souls. But young preachers, please love the Lord's church. Please love the Lord's bride and be careful how you speak to the bride and be careful how you speak about the bride of Christ because sometimes we say things about the bride of Christ and if you said it about my wife, we'd take it out in the parking lot. 
you be careful how you speak and what you say concerning the precious bride of Jesus. And humbly I can say this, and yet straightforwardly, the preacher does not exist who loves the church the way Jesus does. There will always be room for improvement. And while I'm talking to preachers, what I say applies to elders. After all, Paul's talking to elders. And he's talking to Christians generally. And I'm talking to you too. But those of us who are preachers of the gospel must proclaim the kingdom. And we must do so with joy and clarity. We must do so boldly and lovingly. Secondly, look at Acts 20 and verse 26. There is a commitment to being a watchman. There's a commitment to being a watchman. First he says, I am innocent from the blood of all. Note that, Acts 20 and verse 25 and 26. By that, if you mark in your Bibles, jot down Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33, especially verses 1 through 9. Watchmen, the watchmen of the Old Testament. That's Ezekiel 18 and Ezekiel 33, 1 through 9. Now, a watchman in the Old Testament was given a great and serious task. Faithfulness Watchfulness and vision were necessary job requirements because watchmen would go out into the watches of the night and they would look in the darkness, they would look in some distance and they needed to be alert and they needed to be awake, they didn't need to go to sleep on the job and they needed to have pretty good eyesight. Is anyone approaching? Is anything approaching that might hurt the inhabitants? And stop and think about that. Paul is saying, I have been diligent, I have been watchful, and I have had a sense of vision and not allowing anything that would corrupt or stain the Lord's church. I have had a sense of true watchfulness in making sure that I talk to others who didn't know the Lord so that I redeem the time, Ephesians 5 and verse 16. There has been in his life an ongoing commitment to the kingdom and its furtherance. I love thy kingdom, Lord. And there is an ongoing commitment to being a faithful watchman. Third, 
Look at verse 27. There is an ongoing commitment to the whole counsel of God. There is an ongoing commitment to the whole counsel of God. Congregations need the whole counsel of God. Individual Christians need the whole counsel of God. The lost may be won particularly by some aspects of the whole counsel of God, but most assuredly, lost souls need the whole counsel of God too. It's an ongoing commitment to growth and excellence in ministry. People need a balanced biblical diet. Some people do not preach the truth on subjects that many struggle with or that are unpopular. And that type of extreme is to be avoided in churches and by preachers of the gospel. But on the other hand, there are preachers that preach on every ism, asm, and spasm out there, but they do not declare the whole counsel of God. Neither extreme honors God and the whole counsel. Preach a big God. Christians believe in a big God. And declare the whole counsel. In season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and instruction. 2 Timothy 4, verse 2. Just a series of of short imperatives regarding the whole counsel of God. We need to talk about marriage and divorce, but we also need to talk about God-centered marriages because that will help people avoid divorce. We need to talk about God-centered parenting because that will help people have God-centered families. We need to talk about godly leadership, God-centered leadership, because that will bless churches for years and years to come. We need to talk about God-centered preaching and teaching, because that will help people to see Jesus. Sir, we would see Jesus. John 12, 21. The world is starving for the greatness of God and not a few churches. And that means we need to be people who proclaim the book. Now look at some words of exhortation, especially to elders. He loves these men. And yet there are three exhortations or admonitions that he specifically gives to the elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 31. He says, Be committed 
to pay attention to yourself and to all the flock. That's verse 28. Pay attention. Be committed to do this. Examine yourself whether you be in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. Have you ever thought about the fact that Saul remained king of Israel long after the Spirit of God departed from him? People can remain leaders, preachers, elders, long after they have ceased being committed to grow and to excellence in ministry. Pay attention to yourself. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, Paul would say to those who would preach, pay attention to yourself and to your doctrine, for if I so doing, you'll save not only yourself, but those that hear you. Pay attention to yourself, elders, and your own walk with God. And pay attention to all of Don't let that little word escape anyone's notice. All the flock. Again, in verse 28, there's a second admonition. As we look at Acts chapter 20, he gives three admonitions to shepherds. They're called elders in Acts 20 and verse 17. They're called bishops or overseers in this passage. They're called pastors or shepherds, again, here in this passage, Acts 20 and verse 28. Elders are men of maturity. Elders are men of oversight and management. Elders are men of heart. They're shepherds. What a powerful way of describing those who oversee God's people in a local setting. Be committed to pay attention to yourself and all the flock. Be committed to the church purchased with the blood of Jesus. Elders have a responsibility to God to be committed to the church that was purchased with the blood of Christ. Peace made by the blood of the cross, Colossians 1 and verse 20. Redemption, the forgiveness of our sins by His blood, Ephesians 1 verse 7. I've worked under the oversight of 67 different elders over the years in my time as a preacher. As I look out into this assembly, I see many others who were friends of mine who served as elders or shepherds of God's people. And what impresses me most about all those that I served under and were blessed to know in some way through the years has been their commitment to the church purchased by the blood of Jesus. 
we ought to thank God for such a spirit every time we see it in leaders. Third, look at verses 29 through 31. Here's the exhortation. Here's the third admonition to these men. Paul's talking to these men and he cares about them. And incidentally, when you stop and think about this, Go back and think of 22 through 27 and Paul's own commitment. Paul's commitment, ongoing commitment as an apostle, as a man of God, is exactly what he's talking to the elders about in these verses. 28 through 31. Being concerned about the will of God. Being willing to suffer if necessary because it's right. Being committed to the whole counsel of God. Things like that. But notice this. He says to the shepherds, be committed to being alert. Be committed to being alert. Be committed to remembering. And understand that difficult days lie ahead. Be committed to being alert, verse 28 through 31. To remembering, verse 31. And be aware that difficult days lie ahead. Don't be overwhelmed by it. But don't be naive to that fact either. What a chapter. What a legacy. Now look at these verses 29 through 35 and six sins that elders and churches will have to face. Six sins. Notice verses 29 through 31. I call this one twistedness. Twistedness. Because the church will face grievous wolves and have to deal with sick and wandering sheep. Twistedness. When you look at these verses, think of 2 Peter 3, verses 16 through 18. There are those that twist the scriptures to their own destruction. Think of 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2. There are those that tamper with the truth. Godly elders and concerned faithful Christians will always be concerned about perversions of the gospel. Galatians 1, 6-11. Secondly, pay attention to this because you'll see it especially in verse 31. Listen, Wayne. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 31, he deals with the sin of carelessness. That's why he says... Be alert and remember carelessness. God help us have more leaders of wisdom who can see things coming and say, not on our 
God, help us to have more people who are alert and remember. It's so common to hear when churches have problems and when Christians fall into moral sin or doctrinal error. I didn't see that coming. We couldn't see that coming. I realize we don't see everything that's coming. Cody's coming. But anyway... The idea of carelessness. Keep looking. Shallowness, verse 32. I commend you to God and the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among those that are being sanctified. That'll help build people up. The word of His grace and give an inheritance among those that are sanctified. Another sin covetousness. I coveted no man's silver or gold. Colossians 3 verse 5, covetousness which is idolatry. Thankfully, these were just problems in Acts chapter 20 in the first century. These are not problems the 21st century church ever has to deal with. Huh. Again, laziness. You can see this in verse 34, especially. That with these hands I provided not only for my necessities, but for those of others. He was not lazy. We should not be either, especially in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And then notice selfishness, verse 35. He deals with most of these sins positively. It's as if he can't really bring himself to say some things that the church is going to have to deal with. And one can appreciate that. Verse 35, helping those that are in need and remembering the words of the Lord, it is more blessed to give than to receive. The treasure chest of a good track record of faithfulness, the treasure chest of commitment to growth and excellence for as long as we live. Now look at the closing verses. 36 through 38, and let's also go back to Acts 20, verse 17, relationships. In commenting on these passages, note first of all, there is a relationship of mutual concern. The greatest relationships and the best friends that we will ever have are friends in the Lord. It ought to be that way. A relationship of mutual concern the elders of the church at Ephesus dropped everything. They had families, they had schedules, they had lives, and they probably had jobs. But they made what would have been easily a two-day journey from Ephesus to Miletus to visit with Paul. Why? Because of the relationship. You know, we've gone from Ice and Austin, you know, Texas Coldham, uh, last week, and now what we've got is London Fog in Austin. How about that? Well, last week in Midland, Texas, 
my family was without power for nearly the whole week. One of my elders came by with his wife and brought some soup that he had just made and some firewood, extra firewood. Another elder called and said, Mike, if you need a place to stay, we've still got power. You and your wife are welcome to come. My seven-month-old granddaughter and daughter went there for a while. A relationship of mutual concern. You think that we forget about the concern that others show? I thank God that this sermon in Acts 20 is grounded in memory. (laughs) Because life is grounded in memory too. Memory of concern. There was a relationship of mutual prayer. They prayed together. They prayed together. You'll see that in verses 36 through 38. There was a relationship of mutual love. They hugged one another and they cried. Sometimes we laugh together, sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. We dream together of how it will be for God's family. There is a mutual walk. And I love the way Acts 20 ends in our versions. It ends with the elders walking with Paul to the place where he will board the ship to go on to what lies ahead. In one sense, the Christian walk encompasses everybody who belongs to Jesus. But in another sense, Each one of us has a special, individualized walk, if you will. They went with him as far as they could. But they went with him as far as they could in the knowledge that the Lord would walk with him the rest of the steps of the way. And a legacy worth leaving walks with other faithful people in the family as far as we can and then there is the awareness that each of us never has to take one step without the Lord walking with us